Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. We're going to read from Isaiah chapter 10, beginning at verse 5 and reading through to the end of the chapter. And the first section is entitled, God's Judgment on Assyria. Woe to the Assyrian, the rod of my anger, in whose hand is the club of my wrath. I send him against a godless nation. I dispatch him against a people who anger me to seize loot and snatch plunder and to trample them down like mud in the streets. But this is not what he intends. This is not what he has in mind. His purpose is to destroy, to put an end to many nations. Are not my commanders all kings, he says? Has not Kalno fared like Carchemish? Is not Hamath like Arpad and Samaria like Damascus? As my hand sees the kingdoms of the idols, kingdoms whose images excel those of Jerusalem and Samaria, shall I not deal with Jerusalem and her images as I dealt with Samaria and her idols? When the Lord has finished all his work against Mount Zion and Jerusalem, he will say, I will punish the king of Assyria for the willful pride of his heart and the haughty look in his eyes. For he says, by the strength of my hand I have done this, and by my wisdom, because I have understanding. I remove the boundaries of nations. I plundered their treasures. Like a mighty one, I subdued their kings. As one reaches into a nest... So my hand reached for the wealth of the nations. As men gather abandoned eggs, so I gathered all the countries. Not one flapped a wing or opened its mouth to chirp. Does the axe raise itself above him who swings it? Or the saw boast against him who uses it? As if a rod were to wield him who lifts it up, or a club brandish him who is not wood. Therefore the Lord, the Lord Almighty, will send a wasting disease upon his sturdy warriors. Under his pomp a fire will be kindled like a blazing flame. The light of Israel will become a fire, their holy one a flame. In a single day, it will burn and consume his thorns and his briars. The splendor of his forests and fertile fields, it will completely destroy, as when a sick man wastes away. And the remaining trees of his forests will be so few that a child could write them down. In that day, the remnant of Israel, the survivors of the house of Jacob, will no longer rely on him who struck them down, but will truly rely on the Lord 
the Holy One of Israel. A remnant will return. A remnant of Jacob will return to the mighty God. Though your people, O Israel, be like the sand by the sea, only a remnant will return. Destruction has been decreed, overwhelming and righteous. The Lord, the Lord Almighty, will carry out the destruction decreed upon the whole land. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the Lord Almighty, says. O my people who live in Zion, do not be afraid of the Assyrians who beat you with a rod and lift up a club against you as Egypt did. Very soon, my anger against you will end and my wrath will be directed to their destruction. The Lord Almighty will lash them with a whip, as when he struck down Midian at the rock of Oreb. And he will raise his staff over the waters as he did in Egypt. In that day, their burden will be lifted from your shoulders, their yoke from your neck. The yoke will be broken because you've grown so fat. They enter Aath, they pass through Migron, they store supplies at Michmash. They go over the pass and say, we will camp overnight at Geba. Rama trebles, trembles. Gibeah of Saul flees. Cry out, O daughter of Galim. Listen, O Lasha. Poor Anathoth. Madmanar is in flight. The people of Gebim take cover. This day they will halt at Nob. They will shake their fist at the mount of the daughter of Zion at the hill of Jerusalem. See, the Lord, the Lord Almighty, will lop off the boughs with great power. The lofty trees will be felled. The tall ones will be brought low. He will cut down the forest thickets with an axe. Lebanon will fall before the mighty one. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as we stand, let me pray for us now. Truths unchanged from the dawn of time. We thank you, Heavenly Father. Indeed, we're reassured that in, in this changing, uncertain world, we have an unchanging, solid, sure and certain word of truth in which we can turn to now. And we pray that as we do... It would give us great confidence in yourself, the Lord who is almighty over all creation. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please do sit. Well, again, let me add my own welcome to that of uh, Gareth earlier in the service. Let me encourage you now, uh, if you will, to do two things. One would be uh, to dig out the, the handout, uh, one of the many things that you've been given in your little bundle um, I think this will help you to see where we're going. Uh, that uh, is headed transforming a people to trust. The other thing that you'll uh, find most useful is to turn the Bible open uh, back to our reading. Uh, just now, page 694 and 695 is where we begin. It's uh, not often that events in the Church of England not only make the news, but they're then discussed in 
news programmes in the days that follow. But uh, that, as you know, is what happened this week following uh, the General Synod's vote over the consecration of women as bishops. Uh, on Thursday night, it was uh, a topic of discussion on both BBC's Question Time uh, and Newsnight. Now, whatever you think of the decision, and I've made my own position very clear, uh, whatever you think, what has saddened me in the days leading up to the vote and since is the rationale employed by many and many bishops at that for the consecration of women as bishops. Again and again, have you heard them saying the same thing? The world wants this. We need to consecrate women as bishops to be in line with the world. And now that's the issue that I'm picking up on today. Not the issue, but the way it's been argued for. Uh, Bishop uh, Stephen Cottrell was quoted in The Telegraph as saying that if the measure fell, it would look terrible in the eyes of the world. Our own bishop, the Bishop of Sheffield, posted a YouTube video a few weeks ago making the same point. His big line, England expects, he said. Now look, again, whatever you, whatever you think, whether you agree with women bishops or not, can you hear the danger of the argument? England expects it will look terrible in the eyes of the world. I want to ask myself, when has the Lord ever encouraged his church to do something because the world wants it? Our culture denies God. The world pretends that God doesn't exist. What England and the world wants is not the voice to listen to on any issue. Indeed, in these past weeks, the book of Isaiah has told us quite the opposite. Don't make an alliance with the world. Don't be in league with the world. Don't try and come in line with the world. Stand firm in your faith. But of course when we do that, that leaves us feeling very vulnerable because the world is very powerful. And again, we've seen that this week. Uh, again, whether you agree with the General Synod's decision or not, we've seen how when we're not in line with the world, the world starts to throw its weight around. The Prime Minister has told the church to get with the programme, whatever that means. Some MPs are saying that the government should step in in this matter. Others are calling for the disestablishment of the church and for bishops to no longer have the privileged position of sitting in the House of Lords. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if you haven't had conversations with people who are outside the church but angry with the church following this decision. I've had one such discussion this week. And my point is this. When we're not in line with the world, it is very scary to be a Christian. The world is powerful and it will throw its weight around. And so it is difficult not to fear the world. Not just on the presenting issue, but on any issue in life. It's difficult to stand against the world. But our passage this morning encourages us to stand up for truth, to fear God and not to fear the world. Look with me at verse 24. This, I think, is the big point, the, the big application of this passage, the big key point, the takeaway message, if you like. Verse 24, therefore, this is what the Lord, the Lord Almighty says, O my people who live in Zion, do not be afraid of the Assyrians. Don't fear the Assyrians, the greatest power that was in the world at the time. Don't fear the world, even though you have good reason to fear them. For do you see it there in verse 24? They beat you with a rod and over the page uh, with a club against you. But don't fear them. That is the big message that we've heard throughout this section of Isaiah. 
Do you remember in chapter 7, verse 9, the Lord said, stand firm in your faith. Indeed, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. In chapter 8, verse 13, Isaiah said, the Lord Almighty is the one you are to fear. And now again, in, here in chapter 10, verse 24, do not be afraid of the Assyrians, but fear the Lord. Which is all very well to hear, all very good in theory, But when the rubber hits the road, when you are suffering at the hands of the world, how can you actually do that? How can you not fear the world and fear the Lord instead? Well, that's what this Bible passage is all about. It tells us why we should fear the Lord and not the world. And so we come to our first main point on the handout. Do not fear the world, for the Lord is sovereign even over the wicked actions of the world. This is verses 5 to 19. You'll remember at this point in Isaiah, the people of Judah had good reason to fear the Assyrians. The Assyrians were the world superpower of the day and they were coming down in judgment upon Judah in all their military might. If this story were on Newsnight, you can picture the images that they'd have shown. Tanks and warships and, and fighter jets on standby and ready to unleash their fury upon Jerusalem. There was no question about it. The Assyrians were powerful and terrifying. But as we read this first section, we see exactly why Judah should fear God rather than the Assyrians. Because God is in control. That's the big thing that we see in these verses. More than that, verse 5, the Assyrians themselves are under God's judgment. Verse 5, woe to the Assyrian, the rod of my anger, in whose hand is the club of my wrath. These verses show just how sovereign God is. God's wrath is falling upon Israel and Judah because, verse 6, they are a godless nation. And God is using the Assyrians to bring about that wrath. Look what the Lord says in verse 6. I send him, that is the Assyrian, against a godless nation. I dispatch him against the people who anger me. God is using the Assyrian. But that's not how the Assyrian views it. Look at verse 7. Again, I'll read from verse 6. I send him against a godless nation. I dispatch him against the people who anger me to seize loot and snatch plunder and to trample them down like mud in the streets. But this is not what he intends. This is not what he has in mind. His purpose is to destroy and to put an end to many nations. Uh, These verses are speaking of the king of Assyria. Tiglath-Pileser III was his name. In verse 7, it's very clear that the king of Assyria wanted to destroy everything in his path and control everyone in the world. His heart was set on annihilation, verse 7. His purpose is to destroy. His heart was set on world domination, verse 7, to put an end to many nations. And so you'll see in the next verses how he boasts that he's destroyed many nations. Verse 8 He speaks of kings. Kings of captured nations have become his commanders who do his will. Verse 9, he lists six cities that he's conquered. And then in verses 10 and 11, he takes a swipe at God himself. In verse 10, you see, he boasts that he has defeated nations who had many idols, nations that had many gods. He defeated them, no sweat. So in his mind, it will be easy to defeat Jerusalem and Samaria, verse 10, because they only have one God. David Peterson writes, and I put this quote on the, on the handout. 
The king of Assyria did not consider the God of Israel to be any more powerful than the gods of the nations already conquered. That's the point of verses 10 and 11. So do you see in verses 7 to 10, uh, they're all about the king of Assyria's motives for his warmongering. And it's all about him. He wants to conquer and rule the world. He'll even mock the Lord in the process. So yes, Assyria was God's chosen instrument of wrath upon Judah. But Assyria herself was under God's wrath for her arrogant, willful pride. That's what we read in verse 12. When the Lord has finished all his work against Mount Zion and Jerusalem, he will say, I will punish the king of Assyria for the willful pride of his heart and the haughty look in his eyes. Now, do you see how all this demonstrates how powerful God is? Not only does the Lord say that he will punish the Assyrian, but the Lord is using the wicked actions of the Assyrians to bring about his own purposes. It's astonishing. God uses mankind's wickedness to bring about his good purposes. It's a theme that is repeated throughout the Bible, but we see it most clearly in the cross of the Lord Jesus. Now keep your finger in Isaiah 10, because we're going to go straight back there. And turn with me to Acts uh, chapter 2, if you will. Uh, Acts chapter 2, and verses 22 and 23. It's page 1093. Acts chapter 2, verses 22 and 23, page 1093, just to see how God uh, uses wicked actions to bring about his own purposes. Now look at verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. There's the first point. Jesus being handed over to be crucified was part of God's set purpose. However, read on and we see that those who handed Jesus over to be crucified were doing a wicked thing. Verse 23. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. There it is, you see, God's sovereignty. He is in control. It was his set purpose that Jesus be crucified. And he is so sovereign that he was able to, even able to use the wicked actions of men to bring about his purposes. For it was wicked for men to put Jesus to death. Now that is what we're seeing in Isaiah chapter 10, page 695 as we return there. And you see how, how this shows how powerful God must be. You must be very powerful indeed if you can get people to do your bidding even while they are trying to act against you. Wicked men trying to kill the Christ, trying to kill God, but they were just doing what God had set beforehand. The wicked king of Assyria wanted world domination, mocking the Lord in the process, but he was just doing what God had set before him. That shows how powerful the Lord is. And then in verses 13 to 19, uh, well, those verses just flesh out what we've seen in verse 12. We're over the page on the handout now. Uh, first, we see the willful pride of the king of Assyria that we saw in verse 12. Now look at verse 13. 
For he says, that is the king of Assyria, by the strength of my hand I've done this and by my wisdom because I have understanding. Can you hear the pride? The king of Assyria thinks he's so strong and so wise. He thinks he's the brawn and the brains behind all his military conquests. And then he says, verse 14, as one reaches into a nest, so my hand reached for the wealth of the nations. As men gather abandoned eggs, so I gathered all the countries. Not one flapped a wing or opened its mouth to chirp. It's a powerful image of taking eggs or chicks from a net bird's nest. It is, it's child's play, he says. It's not difficult. That, says the king of Assyria, has, is how easy it was to defeat the nations of the world. So there in verses 13 and 14 is a clear picture of verse 12, the willful pride of the heart of the king of Assyria. So from the willful pride of the Assyrian, we see secondly, the Lord punishing the king of Assyria. So the Lord says, verse 15, does the axe raise itself above him who swings it? Or the saw boast against him who uses it? As if a rod were to wield him who lifts it up, or a club brandish him who is not wood. The point is simple. The Assyrians are instruments in God's hands. For the king of Assyria to boast that he knocked down the nations is as laughable as an axe claiming to be responsible for chopping down trees. Therefore, verse 16, because of the willful pride of the Assyrian, therefore, verse 16, the Lord, the Lord Almighty, will send a wasting disease upon, this, upon his sturdy warriors. Under his pomp, a fire will be kindled like a blazing flyer. The light of Israel will become a fire, their holy one a flame. In a single day, it will burn and consume its th- his thorns and his briars. Now, what is described there is exactly what does happen, indeed did happen. In Isaiah chapter 37 and verse 36, the Lord slayed 185,000 Assyrian fighting men overnight, or as it says in verse 17, in a single day. So, verse 18, the splendor of his forests and fertile fields will be completely destroyed. The splendor of his forests is a picture of the, the king of Assyria's vast army. They'll be completely destroyed as when a man wastes away. And the remaining trees of his forest will be so few that a child could write them down. That last line of verse 19 is very potent. The Assyrian army will be so decimated by the Lord that a little child, who let's face it can't count very high, a little child will be able to count up the men who are left. Now in summary then, in verses 5 to 19, we are left in no doubt that the Lord is sovereign and in control of all things. The Assyrians, the the world, seem very powerful indeed. But even as they act in all their wicked fury, they are only doing what God has decided beforehand. And because they act out of willful, arrogant pride, they will be judged and defeated by the Lord. Therefore, do not fear the Assyrians. Don't fear the world. Don't bow to the pressure to bring yourself in line with the world and to get with the world's program. Yes, the world is scary, but God is sovereign. He is more powerful. Now, isn't that an encouragement when we feel under pressure from the world, whatever the issue is that we're facing? Do not fear the world, for the world, for the Lord is sovereign even over the wicked actions of the world. Secondly, do not fear the world, for a remnant will return. That's verses 20 to 27. 
Uh, You'll see the word remnant coming up a couple of times in verses 20 to 27. The remnant are the true believers. Uh, As we thought about this a few weeks back, you might recall how I spoke, how the reformers talked about the visible church and the invisible church. The visible church is us gathered here this morning, all of us, you can see us visible. The invisible church are a subsection of us, the, the real believers within the gathering of the church. I don't know who the real believers are, but God does. He sees our hearts. So you've got the visible church, everyone you can see, the invisible church, the real believers, and the remnant is the invisible church, the the real believers. And so in verse 20, Isaiah looks forward to a day when the remnant, the real believers, will no longer be tempted to rely on the world. For the people of Judah, this is looking forward to a day when God's people are no longer tempted to rely on Assyria, as Judah has done under King Ahaz. This looks to a day when the remnant will be seen to be the remnant, as you'll see it there in verse 20, they truly rely on the Lord. Now for those who've been here throughout this term, uh, cast your mind back to Isaiah chapter 7, when Isaiah went to meet King Ahaz and took with him his first son. Do you remember his name? Shea Jashub. Shea Jashub, it means a remnant will return. That's the, the very word in verse 21. Shea Jashub, a remnant will return. And who will they return to, verse 21? To the mighty God. And mighty God is one of the names we saw attributed to the coming special child in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. The son would be given to deliver us from judgment and death. So this section looks forward to a day when people from Judah will turn to the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. It is a great promise. But, verse 22, it is only a remnant who will return to the Lord. Verse 22, though your people, O Israel, be like the sand by the sea, only a remnant will return. See, the people of Israel by this time have become uh, very numerous. Uh, Just as was promised to Abraham, they've become like the sand on the seashore, but only a remnant will return to the Lord. So this is saying, make sure you are part of the remnant. Be sure to be relying on the Lord and not on the world. For, end of verse 22, destruction has been decreed. God will bring about the promised destruction of Israel and Judah through the Assyrians. Verse 22, it will be a righteous act. Israel deserves it. Verse 23, the Lord will carry it out. And therefore, our big verse, verse 24, do not be afraid of the Assyrians. Don't trust the Assyrians. Don't, trust the, don't fear them. Fear the Lord. Put your trust in him. Be sure, end of verse 20, that you, you truly rely on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. Yes, verse 24, the Assyrians will beat you with a rod. But, verse 25, very soon... God's anger against his people will end his wrath, uh, will end and his wrath will be directed towards the Assyrians. So don't fear those who themselves are going to be destroyed. Now that's how we need to view the world. It is facing destruction. Did you see again why it is bizarre, bizarre rationale to call the church to get in line with the world or to fit in with the world? The world's under judgment. Join with the world and we too will come under judgment. So, verse 24, don't fear the world. The world will be destroyed. And we don't say that with any glee. 
But we do need to be clear on this so that we're not tempted to get into bed with the world. And so that we are clear that the Lord is is more powerful than the world. And that this is not just rhetoric. In verses 26 and 27, Isaiah reminds Judah of the ways in the past that the Lord Almighty has defeated their enemies and delivered them from oppression. Verse 26, you see, the Lord defeated Midian against all the odds. That is recorded in Judges 6 and 7. And at the end of verse 26, he led the children of Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea. That's recorded in the book of Exodus. And what he did back then, the point is this, he can do again with the Assyrians. He will do again with the Assyrians. So, verse 27, Judah can look forward to a day when the Lord will bring his people freedom from all oppression. So in this section, Isaiah says, look back. Look back to the great moments of redemption, to the defeat of the Midianites and to the Exodus. For us, that means looking back to the greatest moment of redemption, to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where he defeated evil and death and dealt with judgment. Where he brought us freedom and oppression, uh, freedom from oppression. With that great event in mind, the cross of the Lord Jesus, we can look forward to a day when all enemies will finally be defeated on the final day of judgment. But we can only look forward to that day if we are part of the remnant, the true people of God who rely on the Lord and not on the world. So be sure to be part of the remnant. Don't be afraid of the world. Don't rely on the world. Don't get on the same program as the world. Well, do not fear the, the, Lord, the, the world then, for the Lord is sovereign even over the wicked actions of the world. Secondly, do not fear the world, for a remnant will return. And thirdly, and very briefly, do not fear the world, for despite what it looks like, the world will be judged. Verses 28 to 34. It's a brilliant passage, verses 28 to 34. As I read it, feel the terror. It predicts and describes the day when the mighty Assyrian army will march upon Jerusalem, sweeping away everyone in their path. And as they do, there is fear in the hearts of the people of Judah. So as I read this, feel the terror. Verse 28, they, the Assyrians, enter Aath. They pass through Migron. They store supplies at Michmash. They are moving south towards Jerusalem. Verse 29, they go over the pass and say, we will camp overnight at Geba. Ramah trembles. Gibeah of Saul flees. Can you see everyone running scared, fleeing from this mighty army? Verse 30, cry out, O daughter of Galim. Listen, O Lashar, poor Anathoth, Madmanah is in flight. The people of Gibin take cover. The Assyrians, you see, are sweeping away everyone before them. And then, verse 32, this day they will halt at Nob. Here they are, just outside Jerusalem, having crushed everyone before them. And then look halfway through verse 32. They will shake their fists at the mount of the daughter of Zion, at the hill of Jerusalem. Here is the king of Assyria in all his willful pride and arrogance, shaking his fist in the face of God. And at this point, for the people of Jerusalem, there seems to be no escape. The world has come bearing down upon them and there's just one more push for them and then they'll flatten them completely. That's how it feels as a Christian in the world sometimes. The world marching against us, powerful and mighty, 
arrogantly defying God, seemingly unstoppable. But then gloriously we read verse 33. See, the Lord, the Lord Almighty will lop off the boughs with great power. The lofty trees will be felled. The tall ones will be brought low. He will cut down the forest thickets with an axe. Lebanon will fall before the mighty one. Here, right at the end, is the Lord, the Lord Almighty, chopping down the Assyrian army. They may be strong, but the Lord is infinitely stronger. What a powerful picture this was for the people of Jerusalem, telling them not to fear the Assyrians and assuring them that to trust the Lord is not madness. And it's a picture for us to tell us the same. The world is powerful. It does look scary, but we know the Lord, the Lord Almighty. Did you notice that emphasis throughout these verses? It comes again and again. It comes in verse 16, verse 23, verse 24, and again in verse 33. The Lord, the Lord Almighty. Of course, it's a reminder back to Isaiah chapter 6 of that great vision of the Lord. The Lord is almighty, so fear him, trust him. He is sovereign over the world, so don't fear the world. Don't trust the world. The world will be defeated by the almighty king of the universe. There is a day of judgment to come. And meanwhile, our God is so powerful. He is even using the wicked actions of men to bring about his purposes for the salvation of many. So the big take-home message, be sure you are part of the remnant. Don't be afraid of the world, but truly rely on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. Let's pray together. Our Father, we live in a a scary world. It's... um, Uh, Well, hard for us to stand against the world when it comes flooding against us. But we pray you'd help us to stand up for truth, to stand up for you, uh, to stand for you, uh, even though it is scary. And may this Bible passage be a great encouragement to us that you are almighty over the whole world. So powerful that you're using the world's wickedness to bring about your purposes. And we pray that as we look back to the cross of the Lord Jesus and look forward to his return, we'd be encouraged to keep standing in you. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.